Dr. Koontz, do you know the reference, I'm your, I'm your Huckleberry? <laughs> nope. Sorry. I <laughs> uh, got the wrong guy. So, so Pastor Grills, is this a movie he should watch? Yeah, you should watch Tombstone. Why? You should... Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I've seen it. This is this is the whole. Pro- I can't. I cannot remember. I cannot remember things I've seen. I have seen that movie. I now remember it. And Val Kilmer said it. Is that right? That's correct. That's right. That's Kilmer. correct. It is yeah, Val that's Kilmer. That's right. So wait. So you told me once that you remember everything that you read, and now you're telling me you can't remember what you watched on TV and movies. That's a strange kind of superpower slash super weakness. It's a slow. Yeah, it's a strange way to be a slow learner because everyone else seems to be the exact opposite. So. I was lost on every soccer team bus trip in <laughs> high school because they were quoting things that I had probably seen but could not for the life of me remember. Well, count your blessings that the mind control box doesn't work on you. Some of us had to wait till 2020 to wake up. So um, the Brady Bill is where we left off last time, trying to do a little bit of a history of the control of gun culture on these Western American shores. Pastor Willie Grills is here. He's our guest because he knows all this stuff and has been taken through a, a real catalog of impactful bills, uh, the gradual introduction of and then overreach of the federal government into what before was generally locally a reality. And again, we left off then with the Brady Bill post Reagan, who Reagan, oh my goodness, he's so great, but not on gun control. Brady Bill coming out of his being uh, a, a, an attempt at his life with the attempted assassination. Where do we go from here? And and before we go further, I mean, we've only got a couple more court cases, really, right? Um, right, right. You know, yeah. set the stage for why this is important right now, you know, May 2021 or 25, depending on how you count. I count 25. Right now, why does gun control matter to our listeners who are mostly people with some sort of spiritual agenda who are looking to either homestead or self-support, be good parts of a network hub of a local self-sufficient community in the event of economic and uh, otherwise collapse. Where does gun control come into that picture? Sure. Any Anything that would stop you from providing for yourself and caring for your life, your life and the life of your neighbor is, is a good thing, or excuse me, anything that would stop that is a bad thing. Anything that affirms that is a good thing. Um, so firearms certainly help affirm that. Um, because at the end of the day, we're talking about it's the person behind the tool that is the issue at the end of the day. Um, if you're going to homestead, uh, firearms certainly has to be in your inventory and possibly more than one. And certainly ammunition, the most important accessory you can have for a firearm. It, it is just I don't see how this weapons in general have always been foundational to uh, humanity right? We need those things outside of the garden. If you have to toil, well, it's not just a reference to like a plow or something, you know, and if after Noah, you know, you're commanded to eat meat, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to have a spear and then weapons are going to evolve, for example, and it's good. And self-protection and self-reliance, it's the same way. It was the same tools, right? You have a dual function. It's as simple as that. And I, I think that part of the ease with which the American population has acquiesced, uh, especially in the places with the most regulation, in these gradual attempts to make, as we stressed in the last episode, life so much more difficult for the average person to provide for himself and his own and to defend himself and his own is because there are certain illusions underlying urban or urbanized life, which is, for instance, that provision just appears. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and then it's it's time to the escapism of, I mean, even the entertainment industry where people don't even know the names of their neighbors, let alone the dangers in their neighborhoods or even the good restaurants in their neighborhoods unless they deliver. Right. And and so they are sucked into these alternate worlds and don't don't really realize what's out there. And, well, and, Kuntz, really, well, go ahead. Yeah, and a lot of our media doesn't even reflect the realities of the world. Well, Dr. Kuhn said the about provision just appearing is the thing that keeps getting me. Like when I go to the store now, <laughs> every time I go through this, like uh, what <clears throat> uh, Sandra Connor moment, you know, watching the the playground burn up as Skynet gets involved. Um, it's not that for me. It's just I, I just walk through the same store in my head and I see the food prices going up or being less right. than being there. Yeah. And I right. watch all the people right. around and I think, golly, what are we going to do? And it's I, I don't very, know if that's even going to happen. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's like 
I'm saying this is a 50-50 coin toss right now. But well, if you are going to ignore the fact that it's at least a 50-50 coin toss right now, you're an idiot. You're an right, idiot. Right, right. Well, it's it's look, really you, possible. You got a dry run of this in spring of last year, late spring, early summer, when across the board shelves are bare, people don't know what to do. This is the first time in a lot of people's living memory in America that they've seen it like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our World War II veterans would have, but this was, again, very different. It didn't happen overnight like what you saw. And and so it should be a wake up call to people that not not to just frighten you and say, oh, you know what the specter of Armageddon necessarily. But if it works, it works. If that motivates you think that way. But if, uh, you know, our infrastructure uh, is so fragile that one link going down in it can cause. That's right. You know, well, OK, look what happened in the south recently with the pipeline. The one pipeline shuts down. Boom, you have pumps tapped out immediately. Now, granted, a lot of the food shortages we saw and the gas shortages we saw were due to people panic buying. But if a real disaster hits, do you think these same people won't panic? Right. And it's going to panic more and more. They're going to panic more. And and this is the thing where, and I said I wasn't going to talk like this too much, but I guess I'm going to now. In times of disaster, these sort of artificially constructed support networks are not going to be there for you. Okay. In, in times of real disaster, 911 is not going to pick up and the hospital will be out of things just like the grocery store is. And a society based around a complicated web of shipping and distribution is really relatively fragile. It's wonderful when things are working smoothly, but as you can see, things can go off the rail very quickly. And, and so then it's not a case of, oh, okay, right, girls. So then we need to get guns so that we can go loot or go rob the hoarders or something it's more like to that. stop the people from looting you where you've managed well, to build a small group of people sure. trying to pull themselves out of starvation. That's my thought. Sure. Yeah? No, but, but it is, it, it is, it is, it is protecting and it just is an essential tool of survival. And it gives us such a leg up over even the mightiest of creatures out there, be them two legged or four legged. Hmm. How can a Christian <laughs> right. pastor talk this way? I mean, isn't so much of this, uh, the last hundred years of the Christian century and the move toward a pacifistic future of man, the brotherhood of all of us just working together. And it seems to me like you've just lost real trust in your God, Pastor Grills. Answer that. <laughs> you mean, okay, rhetorical you, not me, right? Of course. Uh, <laughs> so, well, th- there is some of that. There, I think there is some of that, but I don't think people... If people are thinking about the future, I don't think they're necessarily thinking about it being peaceful. I think a lot of people think the future is Mad Max, but they don't think they'll be alive to see it. They don't believe that in their lifetime, yeah. these kinds of things can actually happen. Yeah, yeah. Because, because, you know, you grow up wearing your Utah jazz cap backwards, you know, smoking sweet and milds when your parents when your parents are off to church on Sunday morning and you're in the garage listening to a bootleg two live crew cassette wait, 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 in the wait, suburbs. The autobiography, man, the autobiography, come on. <laughs> No, I've I've never lived in the suburbs, so this is not me. But this is, you know, any, any you know, you know, do a roulette uh, with the with the LCMS locator, and you can probably find a guy like this. And <laughs> and and so that, it's that's me. A, I'm that guy. <laughs> it's just a very um, a very different kind of life, and and you know, it's the parents' fault for not at least saying, boys, you know, you should have been more prepared. And I know I sound like the dad from Red Dawn here. And that's cool. Uh, that's My fine. Kids love but, that movie. I didn't think it was right. that good. Well, interview's done. <laughs> <laughs> so, but okay. So uh, you just you just hit one of my favorite hobby horses right now is boys and manhood. And you say you know parents of a certain generation maybe rejected the ability to train anybody ever again by definition. Like that was their yeah. moment. Was no more training. And so yeah, here we are. Um, well, I mean, look, the, a lot of that generation of parents wanted you to go get a four-year degree and go sit in a cubicle until you get gout, get your golden watch, and then enjoy your last five years of life in retirement. Yeah, golfing. Right. Golfing. Yeah. And I, I think that that basic vision, I, something that is really hard to recognize is that that is simply a completely different version of the circumstances, not just material, but even, let's say, spiritual under which you carry out your life, very different. So this is not a sort of romanticism about early agrarian America, but it's just a basic fact that if my life is determined by the provision that I am able to get together, it's just completely differently structured on a daily and a yearly and a lifetime basis 
than a vision where my goal is to be employed at the highest possible salary by someone who will give me that money. So you're already dealing with a vision of life that is about what someone bigger than you can give you. And of course, at that point, the notion that they would take away certain things like move from defined benefit to defined contribution or take away your right to defend yourself becomes a lot easier to imagine because who am I to question what the big man who gives me things, whether it's the corporation or the federal government, does finally i mean it's it's his to decide is it not right yeah and then that's exactly where you are i mean people that are i mean they're they're still working but they're still having things handed to them so to speak so to speak so i i'm looking at the other cases and stuff and i want to keep the conversation going the way we're going right now for the rest of this hour as much as we can but mcdonald versus chicago seems to be pretty key though right right well i knew you'd go to to mcdonald versus uh, chicago you know, because you're how how far are you from Chicago, by the way? Oh, about an hour and a half. As not the, far uh, enough. As the tollway <laughs> takes it. Let me put it this way: the reason to move to Rockford and join my little network of uh, resistance to all things chaos is because we are the dividing line between Chicago and everything sure. rest of us. We are we are the place to make the stand, and uh, Rockford being you know the last dregs of Chicago's suburban disaster. Yeah. All right. So related to this, and really the really important one for us today is District of Columbia versus Heller, which guarantees the right of an individual to possess a firearm unconnected with service in a militia and to use that for traditionally lawful purchase, including self-defense in the home. So then after that is McDonald versus the city of Chicago, which uh, strikes down, essentially strikes down Chicago's handgun ban. Okay. So the right to possess a handgun in the home for the purpose of self-defense Unless considerations, you know, blah, 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 legalese, right? But basically, it allows you to finally have a gun for protection in Chicago. So the Supreme Court affirms that right in Heller, and then the local court sustains that right in versus Chicago. But then what we see now is the rise of legislation to protect the criminal on your grounds. Right. Uh, yes, and that and this and this has passed. Uh, what what do they call it? The Criminal Justice Reform Act or something like that. that yeah, I don't know. It eliminates cash bail which is bad. The really bad one is uh, once this comes into law in Illinois, police cannot remove trespassers. Cool. So, and there is no uh, castle doctrine in Illinois and castle doctrine refers to the idea. It's sometimes called stand your ground laws, but yeah, basically right. if someone breaks into your home, you do not have a duty to retreat. Generally in States that don't have that, you must retreat before you can defend yourself. So let them take your stuff and then defend. Let, let them take your stuff. Let them do whatever they need to do. But you know, just make sure you run out the back door first. Hmm. Um, so yeah, now it'll soon be to where if someone is trespassing, the the police are basically muzzled. They can't do much. And and in a state like this, you know, you can defend yourself, but it's not like uh, certain other states with a with an explicit protection of the homeowner yeah i know i know a couple of neighborhoods or, or the victim, are, the victim i know a couple neighborhoods that are not going to be much better golly no, and that's golly. what happens though and then and see this is what happened what has happened in chicago uh where police just won't go into certain neighborhoods and there's a lot of there are many reasons why uh namely thanks to the rise of the cell phone and everybody having a camera in their pocket you know, a cop's going to be accused of everything. They're going to make it look, you know, why, why is he going to put yeah. himself at risk? Can I tangent right now? I've been thinking about yeah. this a lot recently and I want to train myself in this way to like, as soon as I am nervous about anything ever, pull out my camera and turn it on and think about That's it right. in terms of intruder in my home. Like, don't go out with a gun, go on with a camera. Like, hey dude, you see all my stuff? <laughs> look, I'm on sure. YouTube right now. <laughs> like, well, and, and, that seems yeah. to be more of a, a real actual thing uh, in this conversation. It, yeah, and it might not be a bad idea because if it does go to trial, that's you're gonna that's gonna be your protection. Right. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. the bo- the body cam thing really backfired on BLM, and, that, and that's where I was gonna go with my next. Yeah. yeah, was that they said, hey, we're gonna put the body cams on, and we're gonna see like you know all these cops throwing their clan hoods on or whatever they they're supposed to be doing before <laughs> before they uh, before rolling out. Yeah, before rolling right. out, and what they're seeing is no, no, not really the case. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, they're really finding the opposite there. So the cameras um, can be your friend. Now, the, the downside to the camera is once that footage gets put in the hands of the media or any, and I don't just mean the mass media, right. uh, but any kind of media, it can be manipulated, yep. it can be turned, and, we, and we've, seen, we've seen evidence of this time and time again. Well, I, I fully live in a world in which it's all made up, so I, I expect at some point 
that's already happening, and they got plenty of footage <laughs> on me to make me say whatever I want, whenever. Yeah, you're, yeah, you will be deep faked by uh, liberal Protestants. But, at some but point let me, yeah, that'd be, that'd be funny. <laughs> um, the, yeah. But I think it really is something to say that, like, you get pulled over, even uh, having the camera going. I think a lot of people would retreat from that way more than you give credit to it. That you pull out that camera and start accusing somebody of something, they're going to run. They're going to run from you because yeah, yeah. the way well, that I mean, it works is you're guilty until proven innocent. And you just say, hey, I just saw you do this. And they're faced on the camera. Um, yeah. And honestly, I'm talking to the kings out there. You want to train yourself for next level thinking about protecting yourself in some of these situations. That That's one of them. Um, well, this so. is where some of the classic truisms of just uh, making yourself not look like a victim come into play. Walk standing straight up. Yeah. You know, don't be down on a device all the time. Uh, as far as your property goes, having out exterior lights are a good idea, making it look like someone's home. You know, if people look, if people think they're going to be caught doing something, they are less likely to do it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you've been talking about uh, a lot of federal rulings and or federally applicable regulation and legislation. Mm-hmm. Does do the differences between stand your ground versus duty to retreat states? Is that a red state, blue state thing? In many cases, okay. in many cases, it is. Although you're seeing some change there, and so it's kind of like concealed carry law. Now, almost every state is a what's called a shell issue state. When in years past, a lot of the blue states would have been what are called may issue states. Here's the difference. If you pass these certain qualifications, the government shall issue, has to issue you this license. Mm -hmm. In the more restrictive, the may issue states, it was if you pass these tests, they might issue you. They may issue you it at their discretion. Now, now, essentially, there's only a couple states like that. For example, Illinois is a shell issue state, huh. but states like New York, I think possibly Massachusetts, I think California's, you know, some of them are shell issue, but it's kind of like wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Illinois is a shell issue state. It just has this tremendous backlog. So it is a de facto. How many uh, duty to retreat states are there and how long have those laws been in place? You know, I couldn't tell you the exact number, uh, just like I couldn't tell you the exact number on states that didn't allow concealed carry because both concealed carry and uh, castle doctrine states are relatively recent things. Uh, Prior to concealed carry legislation, um, in most states, of course, concealed carry was prohibited, but it was a misdemeanor with a very small fine. Hmm. Okay, so after that, it becomes legal to conceal carry with a license in a lot of states, although more and more states are going to unlicensed carry, but now it's a felony to carry without the license. So to pay your tax, you got to pay your tax first. Okay. How is this related to castle doctrine? Well, with the rise of concealed carry legislation came the right of protection. Okay. So, so you started to seeing castle doctrine passed in the same states that you saw concealed carry be allowed. And so even though you've had blue states that have allowed concealed carry, they are still behind on castle doctrine. And a lot of states, though, before they had castle doctrine, it wasn't that they didn't say anything. They did have an explicit duty to retreat. And I, I don't know, I can't tell you definitively what the cause is for that, other than just a nicer America. It's, it's, you know, it's back to when your criminal was, oh, just, um, you know, Susie Matheson's, you know, a ne'er-do-well son down the street who's breaking in you know, to steal your hubcaps or something right, and sell right. them. Yeah. But now we have a whole different class of criminal. And, and, and although crime rates are falling, we are seeing the rise of drug abuse, which is, which has created a different kind of criminal. You are still seeing a rise in gang violence, which is a different type of violence. Uh, Pastor girls, are crime rates statistics? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> Yes, and statistics are uh, not politically correct sometimes. Yeah, just checking. I don't believe in statistics generally speaking, especially when no, no, from no. Outside. I understand. So, I understand. Crime rates falling right now is like that's like such a. I don't blame you for this. This is just you know how much the world has changed, and me wanting to call attention yeah. to it again for my own sake. Like yeah. how easily we're like, oh yeah, see, crime's falling because they said so, right? And it's like, well, well, well can, where? Can, well, but but they don't say so. That's how you know it's true hmm. because they don't say they are. But if you look at the numbers of reported crimes and reported incidents, they are. Hmm. What 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 is happening? And that's exactly why I believe it because they don't want us to look at it. Oh well, count just like COVID rates or whatever. So what we're seeing in America, I believe, is a return to the '70s and '80s. And I know everybody's joking about that, you know, because of the gas shortages and things like that. But you're stranger, seeing it. Stranger things have happened. Ooh, ooh, right. did you see what I did um, there? <laughs> so, you know, Giuliani. Like, let's look at New York City, right? Up until the mid '80s, 
a total hole. Yeah, yeah. right. No, I'm yeah, bad. it's true. The are bad. Death Wish, the first Death Wish movie, is not a is not an inaccurate representation of seventies New York. And you look at the places that are like basically Disney world up there now, uh, that were just porno theaters and just absolute sewers at that time with high crime and not just property crime, but personal crime, uh, muggings, robberies, rapes. Well, that beginning in the mid late eighties, they, they started to clean up. And a lot of our major cities did at that time, but I like to use New York as an example because it's, it's so clear. Well, now we're seeing a return back to that. So that why, and and at the same time that you are seeing uh, crime rates, uh, really violent crime rates uh, apparently drop, what you are seeing is larger media coverage of crime in general. And so that a shooting and even a a quote unquote mass shooting that would not have been reported in the news prior, except local news is being reported on a national level. So there are tons and tons of uh, examples of, mass violence in the 70s and armed criminal takeovers of property and buildings and even like television station hijackings from that era that people know nothing about because the news media was not as nationalized and the cycle was slower so they got forgotten but there's video footage of these of these events um it's amazing how well documented some of this violent crime is and yet um, people people largely forget about it but moving on into the into the digital age that we're in um, people are constantly fomented and they're made to believe that it's worse than it is. What probably is worse is large scale violence. And, and, but, but individual violence, the murder rates and such have gone down, although in major cities, they are starting to tick up. And, and so we have to deal with that. What, what does that mean then? If the average small town is actually safer, what does that mean for the cities? Well, what is happening in the cities? Well, let's blame guns. If we can just get rid of the guns, that will stop the violence. But it hasn't. Like you mentioned, Chicago's set, you know, Chicago violence continues to go up. Uh, what more can they do? If they regulate the guns, the guns are still going to flow in. And so they could elect, elect yeah. a Republican white male mayor. Right. But what I mean, he it'd do be interview- crazy. It'd be crazy. But, but, you know, but but then but then following precedent, he could only do interviews with white reporters. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, how well documented versus how much documented is kind of a tangent point. But you mentioned, you know, uh, you have this history from the 70s that you can you can see it, you can learn about it, but no one knows about it. Well, it's because we have so much. And um, another thought coming out of that, uh, mentioning New York and it going downhill once, being brought back, going downhill again. Yeah. This sounds like uh, Kuntz's casino narrative to me uh, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a nutshell. What do you think, Adam? You've been quiet there a little bit. I think that you know, the reason that New York cleans up is because its economy shifts. I mean, New York is still at the beginning of the 1970s. That's actually kind of peak industrialization for the entire nation. And New York, even Manhattan is still a place where things are made in the early 1970s. So as you shift to a service, and in the case of a place like New York, really a tourism-based economy, as well as things like financial services, right? So America also becomes financialized increasingly, you need to be a place that people like Mike Pence can come to Times Square and instead of finding porno theaters, he can get made fun of for eating at Applebee's and you need international bankers that actually want to live there and go to the museums, patronize the opera. And you can't do that if you have, you know, Charles Bronson world in Manhattan, let alone the outer boroughs. But But if if you uh, don't like... Crime rates are already going up in the outer boroughs before the 70s in what is called the era of white flight. And there's a lot more to be said about that. It's really the destruction of Manhattan as a manufacturing center and as a place that a middle class, something to notice is that middle class people can't live in places with high crime because they can't isolate themselves sufficiently. They need low crime. Where you find high crime rates, you don't find the middle class. You find the extremely wealthy and and the lower class. Right. And that class gap actually does seem to uh, lead to greater conflict. Right. right. District of Columbia. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. And, and under, un, under, any, under any kind of regulation regime of any kind, the extremely poor or those who are just kind of outside the bounds of society, whether homeless or criminal, are not going to care about what the regulation is. Right. Yeah. They will be punished for it, presumptively, sometimes at least, but they won't care. And the rich can either hire or provide for themselves things like protection or food. 
the, the, the significance here is America goes from a place where you can provide for yourself in 1791 to a place where your right to provide for yourself is increasingly under threat as we go forward and get closer to the present. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're going to yeah. take those kinds of standards, uh, how many people have the right to provide for themselves, you know, especially an immigrant here, you know, to, to think that you could come here and step off the bus and provide, um, you're going to step into indentured servitude. Well, at least if you're an immigrant, you actually don't, you don't have to, unless you're, I mean, there, the, the really unfortunate place to be in the United States is to be born a citizen who makes enough to be taxed <laughs> and who mm-hmm. follows rules. Yeah. Because be actually, if you're an illegal immigrant, you can kind of step outside a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah they, they are the cowboys of today. They, yeah. they, they right. live out, they're the mythological cowboy. They, they can live outside the code right. in large part um, and even pay taxes on, um, you know, assume names and stuff if they want. Right, hmm. right. But you know that, but that's actually kind of tied to the crime issue. Um, with with immigration, what you find is, and among those communities, depending upon the group, are crimes that go largely unreported. Right. Hmm. So we don't actually know what's fully going on in certain circles, like those neighborhoods you mentioned that the cops won't go to anymore. Yeah, yep. I mean, I mean, yeah. who knows? And and maybe there is something to be said about a greater emphasis on local law enforcement and local policing. I think that there is something very good in that but if you're not careful especially in large urban areas that just makes warlords (laughs) and and that's not what you want that gets a little bit into something though that kuntz and i circle around a lot which is yet you're gonna have a strong man or you're gonna have a problem like those are kind of where it goes right right and i'm and yeah but a, a strong man would be an emperor not necessarily a warlord, right? Uh, or a, or a, a you know king gangster or whatever. Well, I, I guess um, the way I see it is it's fractal, like it scales, right? So, so yeah, yeah. on your local level, you're going to have someone who who the buck will stop with, and he can mm-hmm. do this with a sword. He can do this with his mind. You know, it doesn't really matter. Sure. Um, and then at a higher level, he's weaker than and must submit to, pay tribute to, deference to. Doesn't matter what, right? But up the scale, someone who uh, without whom he would lose his influence. And that's because he's got a sword in his throat or whatever. Um, right. And so and people and see yeah. now people are going to hear you say that and they're going to be like, well, that sounds like the mafia or something. Well, yeah, but the mafia actually functioned. It functioned well for a while, right? Right. It, did. it does sound like the and, mafia. I would suggest that almost everything else in your life functions this way. You're just in denial about it. One hundred percent, and that's what people think. It doesn't have this veneer of Norman Rockwell around it, right? But but the fact is, um, you do need a strong man in almost any form of government, w- w- even if it, even an ad hoc government, you're going to need that. And, and really, it's a question of strength and power, and and who wields it and what you do with it. And and so any any instrument of power or strength they are going to try to demean, be it be it the use of a firearm or the possession of a firearm or power being held at the local level. So let, let's go a different direction here. What good, honestly, is my AR going to do for me at the end of the day? I mean, really, if well, this thing goes to fighting, I'm hiding and I'm convincing everybody with me to hide too because we're not going to stand up to the Navy SEAL squad they send against us unless they're sending in like like the local yeah, security well, guards know, who are all overweight, right? Well, I mean, the, the, the Viet Cong have entered the chat. Yeah, the Viet, the Viet Cong. <laughs> also, do your research into African militias in assorted wars since the 1970s. Do we even talk about Afghanistan? Afghanistan. We're talking about whatever you want, dude. Just talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, only yeah. the CIA is listening and they're not that interested. So, I mean, our, our the, the difference between those groups and ours is that our groups are not as ready to rough it as those groups are. Correct. Yeah. Right. And so if you can if you can put yourself into the headspace of it's going to get difficult and maybe bring some difficulty into your life. And I don't mean like marrying a hairdresser or something like that, but I mean, bringing like, uh, bring, you know, like, okay. So do we just lost like three listeners forever? After that comment? So, so you, you learn to exercise your body, your mind, you fast, you, you get used to doing without some things, right? You, you take a hike that's unpleasant. You push yourself to unpleasant places that push you a little bit. And I think that's going to help. I mean, you're not going to go out and be ready for a bush war or anything like that. And, um, you know, that, that, that would actually be um, a very uh, interesting episode if we just did a history on the militia movement. But that's what really gets you. Well, that's so what really Coons talk about that. I mean, flags. pick that up and yeah. run with that from my first comment, because I have another comment on my own, but I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with 
And the issue with the militia movement is related to firearms, but it's also related to a certain understanding. And we've talked about Gordon Call on the Mm. show, a certain understanding of how the United States is constituted. And the thing that you can see is that progressively what is like normal and taken for granted. So we mentioned like the reason you can just walk away even from the Civil War and definitely from the revolution is because power resides in the absolutely local community. I mean, the the town in New England terms or the the parish in Virginia terms, the hundred, which has a strong man in the case of Virginia, you can walk away. And when you walk away, they can't bother you because power resides in you and in that group um, and in your leader. The idea that that is absurd or or even worse than that, evil and rebellious and needs to be suppressed with you know extreme prejudice is something that you can see develop over American history to where we're at the point that the idea that there would be a militia, even though it's in the Second Amendment, right. the idea that there would be a militia that is local and locally controlled, not even controlled by the governor of that state, is on its face absurd to almost everybody and is probably surprising even to some listeners right now. Unless you're so, starting a small private military. A little harder to do, but I mean, it, there are options for yeah. the elite. This is kind of the same point, yeah, The right? elite have those already, right? Yeah. They do. So, they so do. local limitations of a weak emperor, uh, I, my own counterpoint to my point about the, the Navy SEALs coming at us is they don't have enough Navy SEALs to come at every locality ever. However, you know, being not the one that draws the attention is flying yeah. under the radar. This, being intentionally this is good citizens for yeah. the sake of this good is important. Yeah, this is this is and this is the, the heart of it. A problem with um, you know, like the militia people really into the militia movement, and I, I feel like it's the nineties just even talking about it because yeah, right. it was but it, a lot of it was kind of LARPy. Yeah. Now, yeah. Some of it wasn't. Some of the guys were very serious, but today a lot of it is. I mean, a guy will have a huge arsenal in his home, but like no cardio or anything like that. That's yeah, not part right. of his life. Um, so they're not really seriously preparing. It's just kind of military fantasies. It's kind of like the guy who wanted to be a cop, but didn't have the sand for it. So he buys a used crown Vic and a spotlight and drives around. It's um, again, yeah. autobiographies what, are not what the show's about. Willie, you gotta, you gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, what, and what you can also see is that even on the right or parts of the right that, that feel way out there to most people, you still get this reality of consumerization, which does not prepare you for a future in which provision is going to have to be made largely, if not entirely locally. It prepares you for a future where you're waiting for, you know, new product to drop on your survival foods website, right? Right. (laughs) Um, So anything can be turned into sort of a, you know, one of the machines at the casino, even if it appears on its face that you're you're bringing back traditional American rights, you are trying to take back your your patrimony, you're trying to provide for your family, defend your family, that can also easily be kind of consumerized. And then, you know, you're on that hamster wheel rather than on something that would realistically tell you, hey, you're, you know, you're 50 pounds overweight. So the fact that you own 30 guns isn't going to do you a lot of good in many situations. Right. And it's not just a question of exercise either. It's, you know, food and like where you, where you live. I mean, in times of, of collapse or even tyranny, I mean, they're going to just be hitting the places with the most population first. You know, so, you know, how how serious does someone want to be about this? That's going to be up to the individual, you know, to uh, to just simply say, well, OK, in this scenario, what, what would I do? What's the best, you know, what kind of provisions can I make for myself? And that that's going to be different depending on the person. It's going to be different depending upon their economic situation and just their living situation. Yeah. So the question seems to be what now, but then where you are is going to have a lot to do with that. And that, that continues to be for my own part. What's very frustrating. Cause like, I know that my well that we get our water from, it relies on electricity. And I know that electricity comes from a place that I have to get it from. And I know that that's one of the problems that before I would have to, you know, kill the wolf and hunt the deer to feed my kids, that problem becomes a problem really fast. But it's a major, major investment and involves, you know, certain levels of capital and whatnot. And um, to try to try to fix that problem, even if it's just like solar paneling or, or wind or something like that. And then moving on that, like that's time, that's energy, that's money, that's thought and 
what about I got to go buy a gun, right? So we're talking about weaponry. Trying to figure out how to take first steps on this is is so overwhelming as to be freeze inspiring, right? You just kind of like forget it. I'm just going to die, right? Is the way it's going to be. Kuntz has recently talked about how you shouldn't do much for six months once you start listening to this show. Like you should just keep listening for six months first, right? Don't don't go do nothing. <laughs> uh, and it might be late in the game, and maybe we'll get to a point where we tell you now. But that's not today yet. Today we're not. We don't know when what's going to happen. We just know what wood and metal are getting expensive right now. Ammo's a little tough to get come by, but apparently it's coming back. We know there was a blip a year ago. We know they're trying to make you take vaccines and paying you to do it. But like they're not rounding us up, and there is no shortage of food supply immediately. So again, taking the next step becomes really a practice in learning to discern what the next step is first. Want to go there, Adam? I think that if you think about like food supply, for instance, right, you're looking at a population that is enormously oversupplied with calories on a pure level. And then also the quality of those calories, the nutrients in those foods is relatively poor. And I looking at a lot of historical occurrences from, let's just say a purely biological perspective, and then we can talk about, you know, gun manufacturing as well. I, I'd also like to talk about ghost guns um, a little bit more. Looking at it from a purely biological perspective, the way that we're saying, you know, hey, if we move from a country that is majority, extremely majority at one point, rural to a country that's majority urbanized, that's going to affect people's sense of like where things come from in life. Well, if we move from a country as we have in really all of our lifetimes, I mean, I I see this with youth sports where there was always one kid on any given team that was really overweight. And now, you know, it's maybe a fourth of the kids or a third of the kids. From a purely biological perspective, we're not really a population that is ready to self-provision on any scale. And it's not just things like gasoline shortages caused by the company being worried that it's not going to be able to bill effectively. So, there, there is the reality of the casino, but then there's also the fact that the water coming into and out of the casino needs to be clean. The food needs to be prepared well. And if any of that falls down, suddenly things begin to stink. People begin to get sick. And COVID is actually a really good example of this because you notice how little they talk about many of the human biological realities that really impact future survival even if everything else continued the same, is my generation actually going to live as long as the boomers? Because no. we were all a lot heavier when we were 25 than boomers generally were. So I think when you when you look at kind of future questions from that perspective, it's not just that the Afghans kind of survived 20 years of us and, and all our special operations. It's also that they didn't have 20, 30, 40 years before that of being grossly overweight. So these tools that they, in some cases, maintained amazingly, right? If you want to see some really strange guns, try to find pictures of Afghans, even as far back as the war with the Soviets in the 80s. Um, not just the stuff that we gave them back then, but <laughs> but the stuff that they had preserved seemingly from colonial times. Those guys, are, those guys never look like modern Americans do. And uh, those sorts of hard realities are things that I, I think are coming even if nothing else happened, the the lack of biological health of our heavily urbanized population is is going to be an enormous factor in our future. What do you think, Pastor Girls? Well, I think it's true, and I mean it goes beyond the the weight the weight thing. It's a, it's mental preparedness as well. Yeah, it's um, practical know how on how to do on how to do things. Yeah. I mean, even even how to mend a button or something like that, but. You know, we talk about this a lot on WordFit. When we're not talking about uh, Bigfoot and UFOs and WordFitly Spoken, we're talking about gardening and things like that, too. And the fact is, though, a lot of people do not have access to land to even to even try to cultivate these skills. Right. And and you know what? Big multinational or yeah, actually multinational corporations now are buying up a lot of the farmland, too. Mm -hmm. So everything is being taken away from the poor. And I'm, I mean, that, that includes the middle class, the shrinking middle class now um, to the point of where even if they wanted to cultivate some of this stuff, they can't. And I don't know that that's intentional. Maybe a lot of it is, or maybe it's just from the, from the elite's perspective, a happy byproduct of what they've done. People can't mentally process things either. And they're not ready for this slow work of living this kind of life 
after things have collapsed, where you're going to be watching corn grow literally, and you're going to be diligently weeding, right? And you're going to be just living this very slow pace. It, it, it requires a deprogramming and reprogramming of yourself. And that's going to be the toughest one for them. Where do you start with that? Um, you mean just in the most practical? Yeah. And this is going to sound like like old man stuff, but eliminate screens. Get, Amen. Go, go outside, it. get some sunshine. Only write on like yellow legal pads with a pen. I mean, little little tiny uh, things might you know can help. A uh, little and and it's going to be different for everyone. It, it's just it's kind of like alcohol, right? Some people can handle a little bit of it and control themselves, and some people can't. So some people are going to have to to really uh, go to more extreme measures to try to deprogram a little bit, uh, read good books and start to think differently. If you can start to think differently and reckon things differently, uh, that's going to help the physical aspect of it come sooner and listen to this podcast. Yeah, right. So, so like uh, reading and writing analog living is something that in another life I spend a lot of time with and, and do talk about from time to time. Um, and my own discovery largely through a book called smart notes, but it's not just that, but Discovering the level up power of a thought, thought twice or thrice and even translated uh, that uh, coming back to the same idea a week later on, a, you know, that you've written out by hand, finding it, uh, writing more about what that means and doing that again a third time, especially on big questions. Right. I'm not talking about like your grocery list. I'm talking about, sure. you know, these kinds of challenges like what am I supposed to do? Right. That idea of smart noting again from Sanka Aaron's. Uh, and a guy named Lumen, uh, is simply that you would let the gist sit for a bit, come back, and rewrite it. And you can do this on a computer. The trick on the computer is it just gets lost so much easier. Paper, you're like, how would I find anything? Because it's a piece of paper in a stack. That's how. You know, you just dig through the stack until you find it. Computers aren't aren't always that easy. So analog thinking, I think, is, is a big part of this, at least in part, right? It's going to sound kind of silly, but reading poetry is probably going to be uh, kind of right up there, not not because poetry is just good cause, but what you mentioned, this, uh, thinking about a slower life, desiring a slower life, asking yourself what kind of things would a slower life allow me to do? Some of this is good news from my end. I mean, Dr. Coots, you got to be with me on that, right? This is well, and, there's opportunity you know, here. Totally. And I, I think totally. too, um, you know, to tie this even back into into the Christian life, the same thing can come in personal devotions and in the divine service where uh, we're accustomed to, well, I know that I should pray and read the Bible. So I'm going to set aside, you know, three to five minutes each day to do that. And then, you know, you know, something really short, and then you just breeze through it as if it's an obligation instead of slowing down and taking the time to really chew on that. Same thing with the divine service. A lot of our churches kind of prize this tight hour when where everything is just sort of sped through. And everything in the human life, and but especially for the Christian, I think needs to be slowed down and contemplated and thought about. Well, and, you can't pray and, on a schedule, I'll tell you that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and and so, you know, if from a lot of different perspectives, if we could cultivate this kind of attitude and this kind of approach, it's it's always beneficial. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I I think that 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 is something. There's a very dark prediction among many others of James Lafon's that hunting will increasingly, he, he doesn't talk so much about firearms, but hunting mm -hmm. implied firearms ownership uh, will increasingly be the preserve of the very wealthy Yeah, yeah. Um, in the future. And I, I think that that is not, obviously that makes you more dependent, but it also, it also disconnects you from a way of provision that is not delivered by someone else to you, but is yours and takes time. And uh, isn't pretty. Right. Is not pretty. You have to actually see what has to occur in order for you to live. Gives you just a very different sense of where life comes from and what yeah. basic facts of life are. Yeah, it's a great point. And if you guys aren't listening to him or checking him out, you really should. Who's that now? LaFon? James LaFon. Yeah. 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 We talked about him a while back. I mean, is, there, is he doing more? He's doing a ton. Um, a lot of it is a very dubious value because he seems to crank it out on a Chromebook um, right. while, while writing Amtrak back and forth across the country. And he's good on podcasts if they'll just let him talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Myth of the 20th century, he goes on there and, and the engineers just talk incessantly. But uh, yeah, Lafon, Lafon's one of his dark visions is that hunting which I, in a kind of typical Joe Rogan move, Joe Rogan has 
sort of personally endorsed, but doesn't understand the full significance of what he's endorsing, um, <laughs> has endorsed as a sort of, I mean, I guess he's like traveling. He's, he's doing sort of boutique hunting. This is not local necessary provision, but what he's endorsing is, is a way of providing for yourself. And I mean, even Rogan can talk sort of movingly about, you know, butchering his first, you know, or field dressing um, his first mule deer. Lafon thinks that that is something that in their desire to create dependence and dependence, the uh, regime, let's say, at all levels will increasingly make difficult and, and perhaps even illegal. The reason that seems a little unlikely is because the red state, blue state polarization also means that generally right. your extremely rural states are. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing is that the elites, I mean, the, our country's elites, as they continually go left, just don't hunt. Right, right. You know, yeah. so it might, it might be just a blanket prohibition on hunting more than just reserving it for right. the elites. You might end up right. at the same place. Right. It's back to the king's deer, so it's definitely the same place. Right. So the king's deer, Mad Max, we've talked about Skynet, zombies probably belong at some point, aliens, I don't know. It seems to me that water, shelter and a network of people are probably the foremost things. And then, I mean, with that, then within the home being your first network, and then you'll need protection. That is somebody who is ready to meet someone else at the gate and stop them from coming through the gate. Um, whatever that means. Um, and those, those seem like pretty first principle things there, but still the, the Mad Max question continues to haunt me, not just this show, but ongoingly. And mm-hmm. you can call it the Fallout 4 idea. I mean, that's the game that I played a lot of. Now, Walking Dead puts it in a completely supernatural place, but in some ways it is really asking a lot of the same questions, the philosophical questions of that show, uh, you know, who lives, who dies, and why. Those those things haunt me increasingly as I watch. Again, I, I talked about this last episode, I think, right? I go to Walmart and I just watch the people and I go, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I, I want you guys to tell me I'm wrong. You're younger than me, right? And I'm like, I want you to tell me, oh, you know what? It's going to be okay. Oh, you know what? Maybe we'll turn this around. But, uh, well, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I mean, Willie mentioned this earlier with people, you know, thinking, yeah, it's going to be really awful, but, you know, I won't be alive to see it. And there is something desperately gross and cynical about that in that if you have descendants or or will, or even if you just care about other human beings to any degree, the idea that you don't care about what happens after you die is horrendous. Um, it's an expression of just the internal corrosive materialism that is presumed and normal. Well, I mean, imagine um, having children and not worrying. It's, yeah, about it's abusive it. and right. neglectful parenting. That's exactly what it is. Abusive and neglectful parenting. But it, but I think I think conversely. Looking at the future and actually caring does not mean thinking that Mad Max will necessarily be wrong. Like the original creator of the Mad Max movies actually provided, even for completely marginal, you know, characters in two scenes, complex backstories. So one of the things that you can actually see if you find out what, you know, what he wrote for those characters is the idea that a lot of them are actually slaves. And that, that's not explained in the movie. The, the, the very first one, but you can find out that that was his intention. He's trying to show you massive slavery and the conditions of slavery are like we mentioned earlier, the fact that you simply can't defend yourself because the idea that food, water, and shelter need to be provisioned. The reason that freedom is not just sort of like a meme, right? And they, they did this really well in the two thousands by sort of, by turning the idea of saying America or America into a meme that is, you know, obviously stupid because it it sounds like sort of like a Southern white male talking. So obviously it's wrong is that freedom is actually the condition of those things being insured. And the condition of freedom is the capacity to defend, right? If I cannot defend myself or my things or my family, if I have a duty to retreat from all of that, then potentially you can take whatever you want from me, including my life, the life of my children, the life of my wife, her honor, everything we have is all up for grabs. 
because I'm not actually, I mean, freedom is actually something that is not about the right to do whatever you want with your life. It's the right to have a life. To have a life. And yeah, it's funny how freedom is actually about possession and not just, yeah. not, not only material possession, but the right. possession of duty and honor and pride. Right. And if right. they can, if they can rob you of that first, they'll rob you of the material things later. Right. Yeah. Well, the liturgy of demoralization will continue until you turn off the cable news, I tell you. We got about 10 minutes here for anything else we want to go at. Um, I can keep pushing us down the tell me what to do with, a, you know, a starting a, a generator and how to hack one together from a couple <laughs> of watermelons or whatever. But, you know, so what else we got? I mean, I, I, would, I would like to know a little bit more about Willie, where you where you see the future of gun control going. Okay. I mean, obviously, also with some of the pressure groups like. They, they tried to destroy the NRA in yeah. relatively recently. You know, where is all this headed? Well, you know, the NRA is rebranding a bit as much more pro-gun. You know, there have been a lot of people that have accused them of, in the recent assaults on gun rights, of not speaking out as much. And there there is something to be said about that. They could have done a better job. The NRA has gone through a lot of internal strife in the last few years. But um, other advocacy groups exist, you know, Gun Owners of America, for example, Second Amendment Foundation, that sort of thing. There are their counterparts on the anti-gun side as well. Uh, so the fight is going to continue. It's going to be interesting to see the NRA. The NRA is really coming out with much better takes and much more bold takes. So that's going to be interesting. I, however, don't know how much those advocacy groups are going to influence things. What we are seeing is, this is anecdotal, broader support for the right to bear arms than what we're led to believe. And, and mm. we're seeing people buy firearms all across the political spectrum, mm. Part, partly because of panic, but I think part, but that might be a good thing because people are seeing that they cannot rely on someone else. So you are seeing broader support. And so there's kind of an opening there to, to talk to some of these people. So that's kind of the white pill on the negative end. Uh, you had mentioned you want to talk about ghost guns a little bit. Well, yeah, there is legislation or it's not really pending. It's not really legislation. See, the ATF with the Department of Justice are able to reinterpret law. <laughs> and yeah, so right. so the ATF, like, for example, with a pistol stabilizing braces, have changed their minds on this three or four times. Uh, you saw this during the Trump era with the bump stock ban. Now, what a bump stock is, is it makes a gunfire really, really fast. Not fully auto, technically. Just if you can sort of make it work right, it'll it'll fire really fast. And not through legislation, but just through fiat, they were able to say, yeah, we're going to ban these, essentially. And that's probably what's going to happen to certain accessories. So what now they're trying to do is redefine what a firearm is. And right now, in the United States law, a firearm is the receiver of a gun. Okay, it's a certain part. It's a receiver. Um, in Europe, for example, every part has to be serial, or most major parts have to be serialized, and they're all kind of considered the gun. But in America, it's just the receiver. So that you can buy most of an AR-15 without a background check, but if you buy the receiver alone to build a gun, you have to go through a background check. Uh, same thing with certain pistols. Hmm. So what certain companies are doing are they are selling partially completed receivers. Hmm. So that you buy the, re so it's not a finished firearm because it's not ready yet. It's not considered a firearm. You can have that shipped to your house because of that. And then when you get home, you can drill all the right spaces out and finish, essentially finish the machining to make it a receiver. Now it's a firearm mm -hmm. with no background check, nothing illegal about that. You can manufacture that. They are trying to uh, change that, change the definition of a gun and change the definition of a gunsmith or clarify the definition of a gunsmith. It really seems to me that the, the kids on the streets of Chicago are really ordering, you know, <laughs> yeah, undrilled yeah, they, machine need. Right, they have a drill press somewhere oh, in a warehouse. It, this yeah. goes back to the talk about revenue somewhere. This is about yeah. money and, and economics the, and, in 2030. Yeah, and, and, and the fact is most of your crimes are still committed by stolen guns or cheap handguns. But again, I want to make it clear that that's still not a reason to ban them. They, I might not personally like them. And again, for liability's sake, I won't mention specific manufacturers here. But, you know, th that's where your crime is. But all of the legislation is centered around guns that are not used in crime in a, in a large scale. Mm -hmm. I think we have at least one incident of someone using a quote-unquote ghost gun for something. But if, you're, if they're like, there are millions of these out there. Well, if there are millions of them out there and they're that dangerous, wouldn't we be in Civil War II by now? Would we not be in Mad Max times? 
Yeah, who knows? Tell me no. about 2030, Willie. Do you think about 2030? Is is the gun control movement of the last hundred years part of Davis's long term agenda through the UN? I well, I can't speak to the world government. I think that right now the United States is more pro gun than it's ever been. More pro gun than the 70s or the 80s because the gun culture, you know, for a long time was just um, associated with sportsmen. So it's long guns, it's woodstocks, it's everything. Beginning in the 80s and up into the 90s, your average citizen started getting into handguns, especially in the 2000s. They started getting into AR type weapons and things like that. So you have more AR 15s, more AK type weapons, more high capacity pistols in the hands of people than you ever have. So the stigma around them that existed in the seventies, even on in in many cases on semi-automatic handguns in general is not there. Mm -hmm. So you have a broader acceptance of firearms than at any other point in history, other than maybe the colonial era, because now we're talking questions of technology, right? It's kind of like, why, why was the civil war so bad? Well, because the gun technology, you know, um, improved faster than the medical technology. Right. But still you had the same basic, you had the same basic idea of a rifle and then you had uh, revolving handguns and then so on and so forth, the evolution. Well, people are more open to and understand more about the gun culture. And I think that's why it's demonized. I think it's why it's demonized so much in the media because it is becoming so mainstream. You have record handgun purchases, record rifle purchases throughout the country. So the normalization of firearms ownership is here. And, it, and, and you probably have more firearms owners than ever in the country and yeah. certainly more firearms in general. So right. I think that's a positive. I think that if people can um, be around them and learn about them and learn to not treat them as, a, as some kind of taboo, that could be good. At the state level, you've seen the rise, as I mentioned before, of concealed carry. You're seeing the rise of now of permitless concealed carry or, or so-called constitutional carry to where you don't have to have permission to carry. You can, you can just do it by virtue of being a citizen of that Commonwealth. So you are seeing positive steps happen. Even, even in blue States, um, the courts are, are often siding with gun owners. We have, we had a case um, in Illinois where uh, essentially for one individual, the Floyd card was, was rendered unconstitutional. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you are, and it only applies to him, but, or that person, it might be a right, Of course, because constitutions are definitely individually <laughs> applied. That's what the but, but, but you are seeing uh, glimmers of hope and where even through like the Obama years where they wanted to do stuff, they, they really didn't. And actually uh, here's a bit of NFA trivia for you, Obama. So with, um, with NFA items prior to, to legislation during his time, in order to or I should say interpretation during his time, uh, in order to have one of these NFA items, you had to have the signature of your local law enforcement officer for permission that he would know you had it. The Obama administration actually got rid of that signature requirement. Huh. On the flip side, the Trump administration banned bump stocks. So, so chew on that a little while. So um, we don't know. And, and this is all tied into the question of free and fair elections <laughs> and things like that. What? If we can have, if we, we can have those. So dude, the computers so, are so trustworthy and we've already yeah, as, been assured that they so, will not take over. So everything, everything I'm saying here has a big old asterisk next to it, yeah. <laughs> you know, assuming a lot of things. That's, that's but, this whole, whole show, Willie. That's this right, whole show. Except but, for but things the, that Dr. Coons quotes directly from history. You can write all that down. As but on the, on the, uh, the cultural aspect of it, I think that we are really starting to win the, win the war. And I think the riots of the mm. last year have certainly helped uh, gun rights. Yeah. Um, people have seen, you know, what it's, what it's going to be like to be in a major city with, you know, with law enforcement. Being it's not everybody's seen that. Like half the country has seen that or whoever is doing their own research. I mean, Fox News will give you half of that stuff, right? And then I don't know. That's true. I, I'm just not as optimistic uh, about, about it. I think you're completely right in the sense that there are more people who are so your optimism that there are more people who understand that having a gun culture is part of survival on a planet like this one. Um, I think that's true. But then when when the Gestapo decides they're going to say what they're going to have us do and yeah. how all that plays out afterwards, I'm, yeah, I'm no. just not very well, optimistic. about. Well, no, no, I'm, I am in no way. I'm not talking about I mean, in like uh, some kind of, um, you know, pushing back a civilly scenario. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you know, the actual ownership of guns and understanding of guns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. What you're talking about is the broader cultural issue dealing with crime and everything that is different, but people can only take white Americans, especially are only going to take their neighborhoods being burned down so long. 
And, and I don't mean that. See, they hear that and people think I'm saying something sinister. No, what I mean is they're going to say enough is enough and they're going to leave these places and go to somewhere where they can live in peace. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, to raid City Hall and, and have a hostile takeover. That's not what the people living in these neighborhoods are doing. They're going to leave. And, I, and, I, and you're seeing that, um, I mean, even across races and stuff, people are trying to get out of that and, and trying, to, to, trying to move to more peaceful places. Once they get there, what they do is in their hands. And if the right number of people get there, then I would say we can see some positive things. However, you look at a state like Texas, which Texas is not as good on firearms as it should be for the, all the reputation that it has. You know, they're having a huge influx of immigration, uh, not just from south of the border, but from other states, which mm-hmm. is going to demographically transform their state by 2030. That's my question. That's my concern, Reverend Fisk, for 2030 is the demographic question hmm. and the ideological question of, like, like if, if we take the pool that we have now, we can say, well, what will they be like? But if we continue to allow these changes in population you know, who knows what the what the electoral map's going to look like or the cultural That's map. That's where I'm like I'm I'm already under the full assumption that we have a regime that will not relinquish power and that paying attention to electoral maps is just wasting time you could be spending learning yeah, how to reprogram I mean, yeah, your water filter in your well because you're gonna have to do it yourself soon enough. Right. So like like chasing Q or like I drove by I saw a sign today, it was like, you know, team deplorable. Have you guys heard of that? Is that like a thing now? It was like a Trump sign, um, but it was yeah. now team deployed. So like we're gonna we're gonna fight back. I'm just like, like God bless you guys, but it just seems no, like the, yeah, I, I, the I won't I won't demonize those people because they they no. have hope they have hope in their and I know you're not, but they have hope in their country. Yeah, and and they Ugh. and they want what's best for their country. So I, I cannot. Yeah, while while I think that their goals may ultimately be too optimistic. Hmm. They're, they're still noble and you can yeah. still you can still right. vote you can vote and think it's not doing any good and put a put a put a generator in your system if you want to you can do both of these things yeah yeah i th- i think also electoral maps as proxies for other realities that's where I, yeah measures. that's that's the point yeah that's what you i know. mean it's a demographic map. speaking of yeah. which our, our freedom index is up that went out with the Mad Mondays, and that's on the Brief, Brief History of Power channel in Discord. This is from uh, BeatRS dot, uh, dot com and uh, Nathan. I'm losing Nathan's last name now. He's such a McPherson, yeah, uh, and McPherson. Um, so that's up for all, you know cross reference a lot of these issues as yeah. opposed to just a pure electoral map. Sorry, Doctor Chris, right. to keep going. Well, I I think proxies, and so like when you're looking at when you're looking at the history of gun culture in the United States and the growth of things that are effectively like. Uh, growth in semi-automatic pistols, uh, certain types of firearms, or spread of firearms ownership, you're also looking at the growth of people dealing with the histories they have. So we said this in, in talking about Brazil and Argentina, is that not only those countries, but populations like them inside the United States will have different voting patterns and not surprisingly, a different history with firearms. So Appalachia as a measure of a certain people group that have had a certain history of being put down by other people groups in the British Isles and then the New World will react in a certain way to the idea that someone else will control their lives. Well, that goes too for people that move from California to Idaho or people that move from Illinois to Tennessee. They did that for certain reasons. And so demographic transformation is not, and I think you see this also with the state of Florida, is not as the authors of like the 1965 Immigration Act thought, just a clear trend in one political direction. It also pushes for both people moving from other countries to the U.S. and within the U.S., in other directions because of their experience, especially with something like crime, right? So you get a population like Italians in New York City who have relatively little experience with personal firearms ownership or freedom of hardly any kind because they're basically serfs when they come to the New York area. That's not how they think or vote politically now living in Long Island. Long Island is still a strangely Republican partly because of those folks' experience with crime in New York City at this point generations ago. So voting maps are not totally useless. They are measuring, though, and are proxies for other things that I think are very real, like what happened to my grandpa when he was in high school and was walking the streets. I was thinking about how, you know, casting votes here locally uh, for, say, my congressman to the state seat. Talking to that guy twice a year, probably do more than voting for him or voting against him. 
getting in his ear. Uh, get to know your mayor. Yeah. Go to the office. Yeah. Make an appointment. Yeah, no. Have a conversation. Yeah, totally. and, don't, and don't be shy about it. And don't be a weirdo, but don't be shy. You know, like Don't do show you, up in an it, Uncle it, Sam costume or something. Pastor Grills, how do you not be a weirdo? Please tell me. I want to know. <laughs> I've been trying my whole life. I can't do it. I, I don't know. I, I think nowadays, to not be a weirdo, you're supposed to have a whole shelf of Funkos. And um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm detached. I, I just... I keep getting older, you know. I was right. born you untether, you untether, it all goes away. It's crazy. Yeah, right? I don't just... even know what kids are into. Like it's like when I'm in a store and I hear music today, and I feel just horribly old. I saw just, like, a I... computer screen at the dentist office today, and it had like a uh, a Mozilla Firefox logo on it, and I had a flashback. I was like, oh no, oh no, <laughs> not anymore. So I'm so anti-internet at this point. What do you want to say, uh, Pastor Grills, about where people should follow up if they have questions about these topics with you? I know you got your podcast. We'll pitch that in just a moment. But in terms of these kinds of topics, do you have a place publicly that you can be found? Well, um, I mean, you can find me um, on all the normal social medias. Um, if you want to check us out, go to WordFitly Posting on Facebook, the discussion group. I actually am present, allegedly, in your Discord for... So um, you can, um, if you have any questions, especially on this episode, I guess you could ask in the Discord. Well, one of my questions would be, would you like to start a channel on gun control, gun control, culture, gun culture, cultures of guns, all those kinds of things? Yeah, if the people haunt. want it, we'll do it. If the people okay, want it, we'll, we'll do it. We'll start a place to hunt and we'll see what shows up because that's how we do it. We throw it at the wall and if it sticks, it sticks. If not, we just cut it. Yeah. There we go. So I like it. You wanted to have this two-part episode not only because you just didn't want to work for the next couple of weeks, but... <laughs> yeah, that's right, totally, yeah. <laughs> because you see this as part of your long-term story agenda for us. And I think maybe here, we're a little over time, and if you got the time for like a two-minute to close yeah, the show no answer, where have we come from and where are we going? You know, we started the show uh, in part off, off the cuff, but you've had a larger picture you've wanted to paint, and I think by now maybe you can start showing us the outline of that. A lot of people have had have come to the show um, and have started thinking about these things out of a sense of shock and surprise for a wide variety of reasons. Um, if you grow up in rusty parts of Appalachia, you, it's not so much of a shock or a surprise. And so some of us just had a head start. Willie had a head start. I had a head start. But we're all more or less on the same page now. And the place that we've moved, especially in the show, is from some things that are just sort of general explanation or exploration, and we'll, we'll continue to do that, to things that are both useful and, I hope, enlightening, and especially things that are going to preserve and extend your freedom to be a human being with a soul and to pass on that legacy to other human beings is totally essential. So we, we, we've talked about guns and gun control um, these past two weeks here, where we're going next is into the history of American education. And that's going to be pretty extensive, like we did with gun control. And it's going to cover different kinds of schooling and the growth of centralization and push back against that, because in some ways, that's, that's a very hopeful story, too. Things have actually gotten better in American schooling over the past 40 or 50 years. But what I want to do is to make your life and the life of your loved ones better in ways that are sometimes odd or surprising, as I think your knowledge of National Firearms Act now at the end of these two episodes is a lot bigger than it was. Um, I know mine is, but I think that th these are all things that are going to help you and yours to do better and to be better. Dr. Adam Coons with Pastor Jonathan Fisk and Pastor Willie Grills, our guest this last two episodes. It's a brief history of power with two white guys. You know where to find us or you would not be here.